Hey friends, welcome back to the Passion and Purpose podcast. Most of you know my guest today, the one and only Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries and is the number one New York Times bestselling author of books like Uninvited, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, and her latest book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. In this episode, we talk about how to handle heartbreak, theology, and therapy, the beauty of scripture, and cultivating healthy boundaries. It's such an honor to have Lisa on the podcast. So welcome to my conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast with myself, Louis Giglio, and a really, really special friend on the podcast today. I'm so excited that she is with us. I hope that this podcast is helpful to her and helps her get her writing career off the ground. This is my goal today. Uh, just an inside joke for the person who owns the New York Times bestseller list, which I am still trying to get on one time. I think uh, my guest today has been on the New York Times bestseller list like for a couple of years running at some seasons of time. So obviously what she's writing is striking a chord with people. And I want to get to the heart of that today and figure out why that is happening and why God is using her uh, her message in such a powerful way. So welcome, Lisa Turkhurst, if you will, the founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries, obviously one of the best-known authors on planet Earth right now. So glad to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much, Louis. I think your uh, introduction was very generous, so um, <laughs> maybe I need that to be my ringtone. I can just listen to that each day, and it'll it'll it infused my heart with great encouragement. So I expected you. you to come in with that response. And I obviously you can't say, yes, it is true. And quite amazing that I was on the New York Times <laughs> bestseller list for two years <laughs> running. But uh, books like Uninvited, it's not supposed to be this way, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. These are just massive messages, Lisa. And before we dive into to your new book and kind of Un unpack what you're really wanting to communicate through that book. Why do you feel like your message is connecting so powerfully to people? You know, I am grateful for that. I think maybe it's because I write from my point of struggle, not strength. Mm. And I think when someone picks up a book more than wanting to be taught at first, they want to be understood. And there's a great gift that you can give to someone who is hurting in some area of their life to walk alongside them and assure them that you understand the depth of their pain so they can trust your advice on that same level. Yeah, things happen to us in life. Some of them are our choices. Some of them are not our choices. And all of us find ourselves navigating difficult situations. And I, I think especially when there's a spotlight on you, Lisa, you're the founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries. I mean, you have blazed a trail, especially for women, but for men and women, to really love God's Word. And you love God's Word. And that's evident about you. And every time I've been around you, it's just evident how much you love the Word of God and love the God of the Word. But yet we have bumps in our in our journey. And some of them are actually a lot bigger than bumps. And I think we I uh, do ourselves a disservice when we want to push them to the side and we miss the opportunity to really bring the grace and goodness of God to other people. And that's what happens when we're vulnerable and when we 
let people in on the struggle. And you've done that over these past few years in a really powerful way. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. I believe in holding a lot of details private for the sake of healing, but I refuse to keep secrets for the purpose of hiding and not being honest with what what it is that I'm I'm walking through. Um, you know, so many parts of my story the past 10 years I did not want to live that. It reminds me in Mark chapter 14, um, starting in verse 32, when we read about some of Jesus's last moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says two profound things that I relate to so much. And he says, I am deeply troubled. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he also says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And I relate to those words of Jesus so much because I have begged God that um, the, some of the realities that I'm living now, being a divorced woman, experiencing the death of my marriage, I begged God for a different outcome. But that was the outcome that that happened. And the death of my marriage, I think is the most significant heartbreak that I've ever been through. It's not something I wanted um, at all. And yet, if I've got to walk through it, I am bound and determined that I am going to make the enemy regret that he messed with a woman like me. You have a conversation going on your podcast, um, Theology and Therapy. And as you're sort of navigating this journey and inviting people into that process, you really want to make sure that the theology anchor is strong, but you're also obviously a big proponent of Christian counseling, of getting good advice. And uh, talk about those two anchors. Well, because both were so crucial in my healing journey, I um, I desperately needed to dig into scripture and and really seek throughout the journey of me trying so hard to fight for my marriage and then watching my marriage end. I had so much angst around this fear that not only was I going to disappoint God, but that I would lead other people to believe that, you know, that I thought marriage wasn't important or encourage them to walk away from their marriages. And that was the last thing in the world that I wanted to do. I, I am a big proponent of marriage and that's why I fought so hard and so long for my marriage not to end. And so the theology part was digging into some of those verses that I had misunderstood and yet brought great clarity when I had access to solid theologians to help me study them. One of those is Malachi chapter 216, where it says in some versions of the Bible, God hates divorce. But that version of that verse didn't come about until after the King James Version or during the King James Version. In the original language, that verse actually says, when a man hates and divorces his wife, he does violence against the one he should protect. And so you can see there that 
having a deeper understanding of that verse could alleviate so much, so much angst that I was experiencing in my heart. And then the therapy side is just quite honestly, I desperately needed someone to walk me through the very complicated emotions of the devastations that I was experiencing. I needed both the emotional healing and the spiritual healing and combining those two gave me so much comfort and I think made me a much healthier individual. There's so many people in our world, in the church world, that are like, all you need is God's word and all you need is prayer and God's power. And that's all you need to get better, to heal, to recover, to be restored. And there's a whole new wave of people that are just like, all you need is the latest, greatest you know, thing, whatever that is in the world right now. And somehow you're bringing these two things together. Even I was listening to the podcast uh, recently, and you've got a theologian sitting right there with you. You've got your counselor, your personal counselor sitting right there with you. And the conversation, it feels complete in a way. Uh, talk about navigating that in our present world and how people want to tip to one side or to the other. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't know where theology and therapy got separated because there, I would say, are so many therapeutic principles that are straight from the Bible. And, you know, it they, they are supposed to work together. And I believe that God does give a great calling to Christian therapists to be the I guess experts or people with educated understandings of some of the deeper emotional issues, um, that's their calling. And so God is providing what we need. We just have to choose to take both parts of it, the theology and the therapy. I always tease my, um, my listeners sometimes with the fact that Joel, Dr. Joel Munamale, he brings the theology, Jim Crest brings the therapy, and I bring the issues. <laughs> and so it works because I have lots of issues. We never run out of things to talk about. So it's really good. And it provides some free therapy and theological study sessions for me, which is great too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just give me the snapshot of uh, these books. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to us have read them or will read them in the future, but uh, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. What's the snapshot of that book? Resistance to Forgiveness. How about Uninvited? Rejection. Uh, it's not supposed to be this way. Navigating Deep Disappointments in Life. Yeah, that's why I believe uh, that's the answer to, I think, where we started. These are These are issues that everyone is dealing with on some level. And I think that the relational... Uh, dysfunction that happens around us is part of a broken world, and there's no way to, to avoid it in life. And I think how we respond to it is going to be a difference maker for us. Your new book is called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. Just let's take the book and set it aside for a moment. Let's just talk about the title because you're really into titles of books and you work very hard on it. In fact, you're an expert on it and you advise people on it. I was never happier when you told me that you liked the title of my last book. I, I was like, Okay, that's good because you have you figured out how to um, how to grab titles that grab people. So how did you do that? How did you figure out 
the whole title thing, the whole, how did you get to become the expert? My friends go to you and, and I should be coming to you and you help them hone their message. You help them craft their title. You help them with, you know, what is this book really need to say and how does it need to say it? How did you fall into that lane? Well, I don't write my books um, without an audience. So I have a kind of a different flow. I, um, I involve a focus group, the same group of people for each book. Um, and it's about 40 to 50 women. And they are as important as any other aspect of my book writing. And it, it's a different group for each book. Um, but they give me language um, around the topic that maybe expands my vocabulary. So my writing becomes more relatable to different people and how they phrase different things. And a lot of times the titles for my books comes out of my discussions. So the way that these groups work, I will write two or three chapters and I send them raw material and they give me very honest feedback and we meet. Uh, it used to be in person, but now we do it over Zoom. And they have permission to speak freely because I don't sit in their small groups. So if we have 40 people, then we have four small groups of 10. Some of my staff members kind of collect all of their feedback, but they have such permission to speak freely. And one of the best things that that group does for me, besides help me think through the title, um, is they share with me skepticism that they have so I can write to the skepticism and not avoid it. And I think that's a deeply connecting aspect of my writing with my eventual readers. Brilliant. My friend Matt Redmond always would say, um, to write with the door open. That was the phrase he used when he was songwriting. And I think, man, we, we want to protect our art, but um, to hone the craft uh, of really becoming great at, at anything in life, you've got to be willing to open yourself up to the process of listening to people. And um, what's an example of how uh, somebody said, hey, talk about writing to, to the skeptic or to skepticism. Can you give an example of that? Yeah, so it's pretty common when I'm writing that my writing steps on my own toes. And there's usually some point in every book where I want to throw the book across the room because I just think how unfair this principle is, this biblical principle, or how hard it is to live this out. And so I don't ignore that. When I have that feeling bubbling up in me, I know the reader's going to have that feeling bubbling up in them. And so I will say, if I were you, I would want to throw the book across the room right now. I get it because I want to throw my own book yeah. across the room. And so that's an example. Another example, especially with the topic of boundaries, um, I wrote, I, you know, this is, easy to type out these pixelated letters on paper. It's so hard to have these conversations. And so because I acknowledge how challenging these conversations are, I want to give you scripts to follow that you can take and make your own so that you're not 
so frustrated when you come up with a good boundary, but you don't know how to talk about it. And so not only do I step into their skepticism, but I try to solve the issue that the skepticism is bringing to the surface. So helpful. Let's talk about the book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. Where does this one fit in the arc of the narrative that you're on in terms of the last few books? Well, I've heard people say this completes a trilogy, and I appreciate that, you know, and the trilogy being it's not supposed to be this way, forgiving what you can't forget, and now good boundaries and goodbyes. That was not done intentionally. So if this is a tr- part of a the last book of a trilogy, then... Um, I think God put that together, not me, because I'm not quite that organized. But I understand that this feels like a very long journey that I've been on. And um, this is the ending of that journey and the beginning of a new journey. And so Good Boundaries and Goodbyes really was birthed out of when I experienced the death of my marriage and I was no longer working on that marriage, I kept going to therapy and needing to work on myself and admitting that I had work to do. And probably the biggest area of work I needed to do was understanding healthy boundaries and how healthy boundaries can lead to healthier relationships. I always had this angst, Louie, that Boundaries felt a little unkind, maybe unchristian, and I didn't have the emotional fortitude or the biblical confidence to actually implement healthy boundaries. And if you look at any kind of relationship where you feel like you're doing a little dysfunctional dance, show me the relational chaos and I'll show you where there's a lack of boundaries. So let's take it head on. You just mentioned it. Um, what gives you the biblical confidence to to really lean into the idea of healthy boundaries? Well, when I started studying in the Bible with this question in my mind, is God okay with boundaries? I was shocked when I started in Genesis 1 to realize God established the foundations of the world using boundaries. He separated the dry land from the sea, the light from the dark. Those are all examples of boundaries. Then of all the topics that God could have chosen to be the subject matter of the first recorded conversation between God and man in Genesis 2, God chose the topic of a boundary. Wow. He says to Adam, you are free. So I was like, wow, look at what God's doing. He's establishing where the freedom is. And the only way to do that is to establish where the boundary lines are. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, not overly restrictive. Absolutely. He's still providing for Adam's needs. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from this tree. This is the parameter, the rule, the boundary, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a consequence, or else you'll die. And what God is establishing there with Adam is such a gift because he's establishing where the freedom is so Adam doesn't have to walk on eggshells and wonder every time he plucks something from a tree, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? So these boundaries just gave such a beautiful experience of freedom with some protection, which is that one restriction the knowledge of good and evil. 
God did not want Adam or any human to have to carry the weight of the knowledge of evil. And that's why he wanted to protect Adam from that and protect all of us from that. And then when Adam violated the boundary, Adam and Eve, then um, there were consequences. And my therapist always says a boundary without a consequence is nothing but a bad suggestion. And so I started to gain a lot of spiritual confidence, biblical confidence that boundaries are not just a good idea. They're actually God's idea. And then probably my biggest biblical aha in this whole process was watching and reading how God put the temple together and how he granted access to certain people, not all people. And the greater the access someone had to the Holy of uh, all leading up to the Holy of Holies, the greater responsibility that they had to bring and the greater consequence would be the more severe the consequences would be. And so the thing that was just so incredibly eye-opening to me is when I think about those words, when I think about access, responsibility, and consequence, the high priest had the greatest amount of access. Therefore, he had to carry the greatest level of responsibility and he suffered the greatest consequence. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for the people And that kind of access required that he be perfectly purified and cleansed or else he would drop dead. So I started thinking about, especially those two words, access and responsibility. And I discovered a huge problem I was having. So I was giving level 10 access to people who were only demonstrating level three responsibility. Great. And the difference between that is where the chaos and the lack of boundaries usually existed. So the mistake I was making also was that when that was happening, I kept trying to put a boundary on that person to bringing level three responsibility to make them be more responsible with the access that I'm giving them. But the frustration came when I couldn't control or change another person using external pressure. So I realized I have to put a boundary around myself. And if they are only willing or capable of level three responsibility, the boundary I put on myself is to reduce the access I grant them down to level three so relational equilibrium can be achieved. Why do we want to give people greater access than they're willing to be responsible for? So why are you giving the person level 10 access when they obviously didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, couldn't be responsible with it? Because I wasn't aware of what I was doing. And when we know better, we do better. I just kept being so frustrated thinking in my mind, why isn't this person doing what should be done with this kind of relationship that we're in? And honestly, Louis, another confession that I will make is I've struggled with people pleasing and it just felt so many times like being in ministry, I just didn't have the same kind of permission that other people had to say no. And so I was always doing this weird dance of wanting to keep other people happy, which somehow in my mind validated my testimony more or validated me being in ministry more. But as I worked on this in therapy, I started to realize 
that it was actually really selfish of me to be people pleasing because I wasn't just people pleasing to keep other people happy. I was trying to keep other other people happy so they wouldn't take from me what I felt like they provided that I wouldn't be okay in this world if they took it away. And so I was afraid to draw boundaries because I was afraid of what that other person would take away from me. I think we will always be desperate to get from other people what we fear we will never get from God. Talk about the other side of this, um, Jesus. You know, everybody's going to bring up Jesus at this point and say Jesus had no boundaries. Jesus went the extra mile. He gave it all. He made himself vulnerable. He, you know, he opened up completely, totally to everyone. Talk about your response to that. Well, Jesus wasn't close friends with the entire world, though the entire world may have been fascinated with him at certain points of his ministry to want to be best friends with him. He chose three. And then, you know, he chose 12. And then he had concentric circles. And Jesus's divinity was absolute perfection and complete. But his humanity was dealing with the same grit and grime that we do here on earth. And I agree, Jesus absolutely laid down his life and and called us to lay down our life for our friends. But Jesus laid down his one life to accomplish a high and holy purpose. He did not lay down his one life to enable bad behavior to continue. Wow. That's a, that is a perfect, I think, segue into uh, to all of our lives. When do we know we need a boundary? Let's just start there. And do you always have to uh, explain the boundary to the person that you need the boundary from? Well, again, my wise therapist has told me, ingrained this in my head, adults inform, children explain. So we do need to inform people of our boundaries. And um, and if they have questions, certainly we can discuss it, but we don't need to debate it. And we don't need to explain why it's necessary. And we definitely don't need to say, I'm establishing this boundary. Okay. So I'm not saying you ever do that, Louie. I do that. Um, So show me the relational chaos in your life and I will show you where there's a lack of a boundary, where there's this frustration in your heart where you start to think, I can't keep doing this. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Or you get so worn down and frazzled where you start to say, I don't know what else to do, but if this doesn't get better, I'm out. And we tend to let things go so long to where suddenly we start reacting in extremes. Either we become a complete people pleaser and we just keep saying yes to everything to try to keep everybody happy, which is exhausting. Or the opposite extreme is we get so frazzled and frustrated that we just shove the other person away. Boundaries help us bring all of that back to the middle. Boundaries are not meant to shove others away. They're to help hold me together. And so boundaries should never be used as a tool to control, manipulate, or punish another person. Boundaries are to help me stay self-controlled. And that's my responsibility. What do you say for the person who realizes there's chaos, but they don't know which boundary to set? They don't really, they're so in the chaos 
that they don't really know how to establish a healthy boundary? Well, in Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, I have lots of lists where people can become a little more self-aware of what it is that's really bothering them. And here's a couple of those things to consider. Where in my life am I diminishing the best of who I am to cover up for the worst of who somebody else is? Great question to consider, right? Um, Where am I saying yes or to whom am I saying yes to when I clearly know I should be saying no? And where am I hyperextending my capacity to the point of bankruptcy, not requiring the other person to be more responsible with the access that I'm giving them? And here's a great way to sort of think through this. Um, Louis, I can tell you with certainty that you are already doing boundaries really, really well, even if you've had thoughts throughout this interview that you're not as good at boundaries as you want to be. Um, I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying I can prove to you, you really are good at boundaries. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Do you have a bank account? I do. Do you have a security passcode on your bank account? Yes, I do. 7853. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Louis, do you have unlimited resources in your bank account? <laughs> uh, no, I do not. Okay. So it wouldn't be wise for you to give us all instructions of how we could have absolute access to all the money you have in your bank account, right? For sure. Is that because you're unchristian? It's because I'm wise. It's because you're wise. You know that if you gave free access to everyone to have your your bank account information and for everyone to be able to get to the money in your bank account, you know that I would be unwise because you don't know if everyone would be responsible with that kind of access. Therefore, you limit the access down to the level of responsibility. I have zero access to your bank account, Louie, and it's because I have demonstrated zero responsibility with your money. You just don't have an experience with me. It's not that you had a bad experience. You just don't know how responsible I would be. And that's not because you're unkind, unchristian, or a terrible pastor. It's because you're wise. So you don't bankrupt yourself. We know this really, really well with our bank account, but we forget it with other areas of capacity in our life, with our relational capacity, with our time capacity, with our emotional capacity. We just forget that we are not unlimited. Only God has a limitless supply. I talked about a few years back and have talked pretty openly about it when I fell into this pit of depression that I didn't know existed before I found myself in it. Um, kind of coming out of that and trying to peel back some of the layers. I, I don't know exactly the formula that got, me, that got me into that pit, but I know that there were two last hands that kind of pushed me over the edge and they were need for control and um, an unhealthy need of approval of other people. And we were planning Passion City Church at the time that I fell in this hole. Uh, we were just in the early stages. And I think I, I learned right on the front end, Lisa, that the last job you want, if you are, if you need control <laughs> or you need the approval of people, is to be the pastor of a church. 
because uh, it's God's church and you're not going to have control. And if you do have control, it's not going to be a very healthy church. Um, and the need for approval is just not going to happen. And I think that I want to just talk about that for a minute because I feel like the reason why we are bankrupt half the time is because of our own need for approval. And and like you said earlier, it's not really our desire to to be more like Jesus. It's our the fact that we haven't really realized how much Jesus loves and accepts us as we are right now and is what we need. He is what we need, who we need in life. So how before we get to the chaos and the boundary and I'm depleted, I need to learn how to say no more. I think I need to learn how to say yes to him somehow as a precursor to being able to say no to other things. Louis, I relate to that so much. Another struggle that I have is, um, is social anxiety. Sometimes if I am placed in a situation where I walk into a room or a reception and everybody's already talking to somebody and I'm just there by myself and it creates this really anxious feeling in me. And so often I would find myself going over to the guy serving the sodas and just engaging in some deep, ridiculous conversation with him. He was probably like, woman, go away. I'm trying to serve sodas. But I was just so desperate to feel like I belonged in that room. And so many times I would just make an appearance and then at a gathering like that. And then I would go back to my hotel room and just think that's just not for me. One time when that happened, the Lord really challenged me. And I felt like the Lord was saying, Lisa, you were walking in that room desperate for acceptance and approval instead of walking into that room, bringing my acceptance, bringing my love into that room, bringing my peace into that room. Do you not realize that every single person in there is desperate for that same kind of acceptance, approval and love? And I don't want you walking into any more of those rooms begging others for scraps of all of that. I want you to live from the place that I have accepted you. I love you. And you are a conduit of my peace and my acceptance and my love to other people. So you walk into that room, bringing that with you and the atmosphere will change for you. And it did. And based on that social anxiety and my desperate need for approval and acceptance and all of that, doing that practice of walking into rooms, realizing that I don't want to walk in there begging other people for what they can give me. I want to walk in there eager to give that to other people. It started to change something in me and it helped me learn to live from a place of love, from a place of acceptance, not desperate for it from other people. So when we draw healthy boundaries, If we're scared that by putting a healthy boundary in place, that that other person is going to reject us, chances are that other person's eventually going to reject us, whether we have a boundary or not. It's just, are we going to be sane throughout the process? Are we going to remain self-controlled in the process? Healthy people respect healthy boundaries, but unhealthy people usually have never met a boundary that they really like. Hmm. So, so good. How do we get to the power of no? 
I think it, I, I love what you're saying, and I do. Uh, I'm 100 percent behind this idea that we live from acceptance and not for it. This is the kingdom, and of course, we're stuck in a world right now that disconnected, you know, the the love of God from the way that we do life together. So we're all living in this social media metaverse that is constructed by people void of the pure love of God for each one of us. And so, you know, we live by the like, and the like's actually the shape of a heart. Isn't that awesome? You know, if it's a YouTube view, it's a thumbs up. So that seems like a like. Hey, good job. But if it's my Instagram post, it's a heart that is the like. And so it's kind of like getting underneath the surface without God's love saying, this is how you get approved. This is how you get valued. This is where you get accredited in our world. And I think we've just got to come into that knowing I already have a stamp of approval on my life and I am moving with the love of my father every single step of my life and connecting that. And so we start there. But then I think for me, it's learning the most powerful word in my vocabulary is not the word yes, it's the word no. It's the most powerful word that I have, but people are afraid to use it. Well, with the Instagram thing, here's a really challenging but good practice to try. Post something and refuse to look at it for the next week. Just post it and don't go back and look at it. And then maybe post again and don't go back and look at it. And eventually, if you want to, you can go back and respond to comments and, you know, all of that. But too many times I think we're posting and refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. And that's feeding that notion that I have to get this. And it's really chemicals being released in our brain that we can become addicted to. So I think we need to manage that. And so much about boundaries is putting boundaries on ourselves so that we can stay self-controlled because we are called by God to demonstrate self-control. But with the other aspect, I think we need to be true to the kindness that we want to demonstrate and feel the freedom to say no. So I'm going to give you a script that might help. This is my standard script. And I mean this with all the authenticity in my body. So many times people make requests of me and I know every time I say yes to one thing, I'm going to have to say no to other things, or I'm going to risk bankrupting myself, which can happen. And then I'm not going to be any good to anybody, especially the people who are closest to me, which I should be my best version of myself for the people closest to me. So I have a script that says, Dear Sally, thank you so much for thinking of me with this opportunity. While my heart says yes, 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 the reality of my time makes this a no. I cannot do that, but I am willing and can give this. Or I just say the reality of my time is a no, period. Thank you for understanding. Love, Lisa. So it gives me an opportunity to be authentic. Like My heart does say yes. My heart would love to do this, but the reality of my time makes it a no. I'm trying to also with that, um, which I am 100% with you, I am trying not to apologize for saying no. So I don't want in that script to say, I'm sorry, but it's a no. Because now I'm taking you know on the guilt of doing the right thing. And I shouldn't feel guilty about making the right decision. 
And I think sometimes when we say I'm sorry, uh, we end up getting a negotiating uh, email coming back to us saying, hmm, maybe there's a little opening here. I'll come back with a different request. I think clear, concise, sincere. I am so grateful that you included me in this idea, whatever, this opportunity. But for me right now, it's a no. Thanks for understanding. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you know, beautiful. Well, it sounds simple, but, you know, when you actually go to do it, you're going to naturally feel some anxiety. Sometimes I feel some anxiety around it. And I also have to challenge myself to take an honest capacity um, assessment and think in this season, in this time of my life, what is my capacity? And think through, I have more capacity in some areas of my life, less capacity in others. So I have to be honest with myself. And my therapist always says, we prepare in times of strength for times of weakness. So if I do an assessment of my capacity during a time where I don't have all the emotional complications of a request that someone's made, then I've prepared in that time of strength for a time of struggle or weakness. And so go ahead and have my scripts ready. And this is what it is. And also challenge myself that I don't want to say no to everything, but I do want to say no to the things that are not my assignment. And that frees them to go on and make the request of someone else who maybe it would be their assignment. I think another thing that's been helpful for me is to start my day with what is the thing that I'm saying yes to today. So before I open my email or before I have a meeting or before I'm in the flow with other people who, you know, have access a lot of different ways to my time, um, I want to know what is it I want to do today? Because if I don't decide that, it's going to get decided for me. Mm -hmm. And it might be a good decision and it might be an okay decision, but somebody is ready right, you know, from the drop to help me decide what I'm going to focus on on any given day. So the no is great, but the no is, is available because I've already said this is the thing I'm going to do today. If I don't do anything else today, I'm going to do, I feel like God is leading me to do this thing today. I have a purpose today versus, you know. I just think opening your email at the start of your day is the worst idea of all. Louie, <laughs> I mean, can I, I can make another confession to you. I've given up on email. I just, I just decided one day I'm quitting email and people Hallelujah. figure it out. Lisa, start a movement. I'll join it. I'll happily <laughs> uh, cash out my AOL account today. Yeah, I quit email. And I also, um, my voicemail has been full since 2017 because if it's full, then nobody can provide their to-do list onto me through voicemail. And so people figure it out, you know, and I, and I've stopped apologizing for that. I just, I just say, I'll show you, I have 147,000 emails in my inbox. I can show you the number right here on my phone. You're welcome to email me. But I, <laughs> I will good. not. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's probably never. I'm probably, I just want to be honest. I'm not great at email. I'm not great at voicemail. And a lot of it has to do with my capacity and my commitment to staying healthy. You know, I did this little exercise that I opened up my journal one day and I said, Lisa, write down the qualities that demonstrates the best of who you really are. 
And I wrote down, I'm generous. I'm hospitable. I am kind. I am peaceful. I'm fun. I'm witty. And I wrote all those things down. And then the second thing I wrote in my journal, who is Lisa when she is frazzled and possibly fractured because of hyperextending and bankrupting her capacity in areas of her life? And I wrote that list down. And I am self-protective. I am quiet. I withdraw. I get skeptical of other people. I get bitter about everyday requests that I shouldn't get bitter about. And I just want the world to go away. And then I wrote in my journal, I need to learn to love others well without losing the best of who I am. And that became the subtitle of Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. Well, you do that well. Obviously, my wife, uh, Shelly, adores you and counts you as a really great friend to her. And I know that you have been all of those things on your good list to to my wife. And so thank you. You give her so much life. And every time she's around you or spends time with you, it really fills her tank up as well. So I love the good Lisa because I see it reflected in her. I remember coming home one night when you were at our house and you guys were all around our little breakfast table painting watercolor paintings, which we still have all of the ones from that night, by the way. And um, I thought, this is so great. I don't think we've ever done any watercolor painting at the breakfast table. Maybe we should take that up. But you you paint beautifully for people, and you've been generous with your life. And I just want to thank you for that. I know it is a calling, but it's really made a big difference in a lot of people's story, Lisa, for you to be so generous with um, the good and the not so great in your story. So thank you for that. And I hope everybody will lean into good boundaries and goodbyes coming out any day now and will be available everywhere. You'll, you can't miss it. It's going to be the thing. So I pray God's going to breathe on it in a really powerful way and really take the message in, in a way that's exponentially greater than you're even dreaming about. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yes, Shelly is so funny, Louie, because she knows she can't leave me a voicemail and she knows I don't check email. So she leaves me voice memos and sends them to me through texting. But here's the key. Shelly has been so responsible with that kind of access in my life that I she's one of the people I can give level 10 access to because she brings level 10 responsibility and I love her for it. Yeah, she's the most responsible person on planet Earth. <laughs> so that is a gift for me, I know for sure, and anybody that is in her wake. She is amazing. Thanks so much for your time today. I'm really, really grateful to have this conversation. And I'm really, um, I really am hopeful for this message going into people's lives. And I know it's going to be incredible. So thanks for being on the podcast. Passion and Purpose. This is what it's all about. Lisa Turkhurst, thank you so much. Thank you, Louie. Wow, how helpful was that episode? I want to thank Lisa for the generosity of her wisdom and for sharing that with all of us on this episode today. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you get a copy of her newest book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. It's available everywhere right now. 
I hope this episode has encouraged you today amidst whatever you're walking through this week. And I hope you enjoyed it enough to subscribe so that you won't miss the next one. And if you think it'll be helpful, to send a link to a friend. Thank you.